just continually point to Jesus as I do so, that, that I would be uh, um, a preacher of the gospel, Lord, not of my own agenda or anything else, Lord. And I, I pray that folks who are here this morning would hear from you and know you more through, through the preaching of the word and that, that, uh, that they would uh, draw closer to you, that folks would come to know Christ more intimately, that, that we would uh, become your people through, through the hearing of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. I need to start the Facebook Live. I forgot I usually do that during offering. Hopefully I don't feed back while I'm doing this. There we go. So um, we are working our way through the Psalms, and we are in Psalm 7. Uh, My goal is to preach on all 150 Psalms before I retire, Um, so I can probably retire when I'm in my 90s. Um, So, And my goal is to retire from this church, and so... Just be aware. <laughs> Y'all are stuck with me. Um, so, uh, when I was growing up, my dad, uh, my dad's from the south side of Chicago, and, and growing up, we used to go uh, to Chicago every summer uh, to visit with my aunts and uncles and cousins, and, and we'd spend all this time there. And one of my favorite things to do going to Chicago uh, was to go to the Museum of Science and Industry. Have any of y'all ever been to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago? It's, it's very cool. It was built during the World's Fair uh, and is uh, just a magnificent building. Um, in, but in, in the basement for many years, it's not there anymore, in the basement, right across from the bathrooms, and this says a lot about like my memory of this, like how profound it was because I know exactly where they were. Um, there was a display, a glass display case right under the stairs, and um, in this glass display case there were, anybody know? Two lions, yes, two lions. Um, they were maneless lions. They were um, hunted in Africa originally, and they went by the name The Ghosts of Savo. Any of y'all ever heard this story? There's a movie, The Ghost in the Darkness. Do not watch it with your children, um, but it, I think we watched it once back-to-back with The Lion King. Um, <laughs> it. It's about the it's a it's a historical reenactment or a drama of, about these two lions um, in the uh, in the 1800s. The English were building a railroad across the continent of Africa, and there was a point in time when the work on this railroad was stopped entirely by two lions who over the course of several months killed hundreds of rail workers. It got so bad that they stopped working. They couldn't get anybody to go out and work. Um, and if you watch the movie, the movie's interesting because they show where the rail camp, they put out uh, perimeters of thorn bushes. They would cut thorn bushes and put these thorn bushes around the camp, and they, they you know, did all of these things to keep the lines out, kept fires up, and it was like this safe spot. Um, after they started doing that. Before that, the lions came into the camp and actually ate people. It was pretty bad. Um, and eventually, an English uh, engineer uh, hunted down and shot these two lions, and they're in the Museum of Science and Industry, no longer in the basement. They have a prominent display on the main floor now, and it is super neat. Um, but these are, I mean, just big, terrifying lions. And the movie does a really good job of sort of, it's a good one to watch turned up loud with the lights off. Um, because there is an intensity to it, because you, you see these lions, and they are they're downright terrifying. I remember as a kid standing there and thinking, these lions are bigger than I am. In fact, they're about my size now. I mean, they are big, and they're smaller than they were originally because they were in storage for a long time, and moths and 
all kinds of stuff. I mean, they ended up having to cut down these these skins to make the the models. These were enormous, man-eating, roaring, prowling lions. Um, and I think I'm starting with that because as we get into this psalm, this is one of the big, like, powerful images in Psalm 7. Um, and, and I think it bears, like, pointing out, and it bears putting out there. Um, we don't see lions very often in Montana, right? I mean, I've never encountered a mountain lion. I know we have those. And I know mountain lions are fairly small compared to, like, lion lions, right? Um, and I personally do not ever want to encounter a mountain lion, um, and a real line, I mean, but, but to put to image, like, how big and terrifying this is, these are, these are scary animals. Um, and the reason the psalmist uses it is because this Psalm 7, it's a song, again, um, and, and it's in poetic verse, and there's all kinds of imagery and stuff like that. And he uses lions because it's something that people knew about and would be able to identify with. Um, it's kind of interesting if you read about, um, if you're free one afternoon and want to read some kind of gruesome stuff, Google lion attacks. Um, and and there, no, I'm not even kidding. Like in, in India, it's not that uncommon for lions to enter towns, walk around, and just to kill people. I mean, like it, it, you know, it is a thing that actually happens. And you jump back a few hundred years or a few thousand years, and like I, I might be okay encountering a lion with the right gun, right? But I couldn't imagine fighting a lion with a spear, or, or a sword is even worse. I mean, these are people like they had to face these animals um, with less than. Well, I mean, it, just terrifying what they had to do. Um, and these were apparently like a real thing. They were around, and they would occasionally eat people. Um, so David is writing this one, and kind of as we dive into it, it's important to understand there's a a thing in the Old Testament called the Davidic Covenant. Now, if you look at the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is actually like covers, like includes a series of things called covenants. Covenants are like contracts. Most of us have a cell phone contract, right? Um, sometimes you have neighborhood covenants where everybody in the neighborhood agrees. We will not paint our houses pink and we will not, you know, they don't do that in Montana, uh, covenants in neighborhoods um, or uh, painting their houses pink. Um, but but um, these covenants, what happens is God makes deals with his people. And, and as they proceed, like if you understand them, you can see kind of this, this layout for the coming of Jesus. Like the story of Jesus coming, like a big chunk of it is these covenants where God makes agreements. When he made his agreement with David, the agreement he made, right? And some of y'all, if you've listened to me preach long enough, you've heard this more than once. Um, the contract he made with David was, you, one of your descendants will always be on the throne in Israel, right? Forever. Um, and actually, like when we see Abraham, for Abraham, God said, I will judge people based on whether or not you're, they're your descendants. And then Moses, I will judge the people based on how they obey these commands and these rules. And David comes along and God shifts it and he says, I'm going to judge the people based on your behavior and based on the behavior of the kings. And so from here on out, how well the king behaved was a big deal. And the people kind of caught a great deal of flack one way or the other based on how well the king behaved and how well the king was obedient. Um, when we get to Christ, there's a big shift that happens because Christ is a descendant of David and he's on the throne forever as king over God's people, right? Um, and then God judges his people based on Jesus' behavior, right? And then he adds 
he judged Jesus based on our behavior, right? This is a big deal when you read this psalm because this is one of those ones that sits in the perfect spot looking forward and back like there's this great truth to it and there's a great deal we can relate to and there's a great deal we can like feed off in this like spiritually it is a huge awesome psalm um, as a genre of scripture psalms are obviously songs and poetry but there is another one it is the court case right some psalms and some pieces of text are written as court cases you read the book of job job is a big court case god let me come before you and plead my case right um, sometimes God will say, hey, if you people keep betraying me, I will bring you to court, and this will be the judgment. This will be the, this is a big, giant court case that takes place. Like, this is the genre. It's a little like, like law and order, ancient Israel, right? Da, da, da. Um, and so there's a whole bunch of, like, legalese in this. That, I didn't get that wrong, did I? <laughs> And so we're going to dive into this. Um, again, as a psalm, it's got this little precursor that's not generally considered verse 1, and so we're going to call it verse 0. Um, it is a Shagayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. Now, we don't know what the first word means, Shagayon, I'm sorry. Like, there is the only time it ever appears in the Bible. It is pretty much the only time it appears in any ancient text. It is a word that is lost in history. The guess is it means a court case. Um, but that, I mean, it's a guess, right? It's a genre. is almost certainly based on the context, but we don't know exactly what it means. So um, some folks argue a lament based on, like, anyway, I don't want to get into that. Um, concerning Cush of Benjamite. Now, Cush, we don't know anything about him either. He is a guy that does not appear anywhere else in the Bible and isn't mentioned in any of the rabbis or any of the ancient literature. We don't know anything about him. Um, the guess is this is a particular genre of psalm. It is a court case based on some sort of conflict David had with this Benjamite who was accusing uh, David. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Benjamite, the, ben, the Benjamites were the, the lineage of Saul, and they didn't like David very much, and so there's sort of a, a thing there. But like it's, it's all a guess at this point. Um, all right, verses 1 and 2. So finally get to the song. We're only like 10 minutes in. Um, Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Now, the word there, refuge, is a big word. And it's a big important word. Um, I started talking about the ghosts of Savo, these lions. The refuge when these lions were around was in the camp. You had thorn bushes to protect you. You had fires. You had, you know, whatever else that kept these lions out, right? When I go to the zoo, any of y'all ever been to a big zoo that's got lions on a glass wall? It, it's always interesting to me to see the lions come up to the edge of the wall and scrape on the glass. And I am really happy that glass is there, right? Like that glass is my friend, you know, that glass is a big deal. Like, that, that is our refuge on this side of the glass. Um, as David starts out, Lord my God, I take refuge in you. He's saying, God, I'm in a lot of danger, and you're my only protection. Now, here's the trick. Refuge only works if, anybody know the answer to this? If you're in it. <laughs> if you have an umbrella, it doesn't do you any good if it's closed, right? Um, if, like, refuge requires 
um, that we take advantage of it. And so for David, like starting out this song, he has to run back to God. For any of us in a situation where like we are in danger or we feel accused or we're, we're being unrighteously or un, inappropriately persecuted, refuge is it. And God is our refuge. God is the only place we can go. Save and deliver me from all those who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. That's a strong image, isn't it? I, I actually considered, because I, I watched, I was looking for clips from this ghost in the darkness, and there was not a one image of a lion attacking anything I felt I could show in church. Um, but think about this a moment, like the idea of like, there's a lion chasing me. There's a lion prowling about and roaring and ready to jump on me and, and consume me or tear me limb from limb. This is the image David uses for this, this accusation, these, these attacks against him. He is in fear of his very like life. He's in fear of disembodiment or disem- dismemberment. Um, and that's a pretty big thing to be scared of. Can we all agree on that? Like, refuge is a big deal at that point. I, I remember once I was uh, working in Houston. I was an exterminator for a little while. And I went to inspect a house, and the owner of the house said, um, hey, uh, I, I said, well, I have to go look at the foundation in the back. And they said, okay, well, just go on out back. And I went to open the glass door, and the guy had, and I kid you not, six pit bulls. And they were running around that front door, and they had their hair up, and one of them was standing there with his teeth showing and everything else. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to not go outside. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not going out there because I want my refuge. They seemed like nice doggies. I did not want to meet them um, because I was, be, I was concerned about being torn apart, Right? Um, that no one would rescue me from these from these dogs. Um, so the psalmist is throwing out, God, I need you to save me. God, I need you to rescue me. God, um, I, I want to just real quick, and part of the reason I'm using lion over and over again, I'm really emphasizing this, is Peter gives us a great line in, in one of his epistles. He said, um, for Satan, for the devil, right? Satan prowls about like a roaring lion. Right, seeking whom he may devour, like, and that sounds really like strong and scary. But like, think about this for a minute. What specifically is happening there is Satan's job. Like, the name means accuser, and so like us in Christ, those of us who are in Christ, who are in that refuge, we are forgiven. Right, like that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You are forgiven. You are made new. We are judged according to David's righteousness. Right, and so we take refuge in that, and the accuser reminds us. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, remember when you did this? Oh, remember when you said this? Oh, I bet you need to work a little bit harder to get God to love you. I bet that God will probably forgive everybody but you. I bet if you're not working a little bit harder on your salvation to earn your way into heaven, you won't. That's that voice that says, you know what? You're in trouble. Is the accuser. Right, And when we reach that point where we are accused, where we are attacked, where we are, you know, our salvation or our, our, our safety, like, like before God is called into question, like this is where we have to go. We have this refuge in Christ. We have this fleeing point where we can go back to Jesus and God says, I, you belong to me. 
right? No one can take you. Actually, Jesus said that outright. Nobody can snatch my people from my hand, right? Like they are mine. Um, And so as much as any lion may pursue us, Christ protects us. Christ saves us. Lord my God, if I have done this, so this is uh, called a negative uh, uh, defense. Lord my God, if I have done this, if, and there is any guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause robbed my foe, which is probably what this Kush guy was accusing him of, um, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. That word trample my life in the ground, that phrase is used when Jezebel is run down by wild horses. <laughs> Got it? Um, I, I don't know. Do we have stampedes? Is that a thing that happens? Like there are cowboys all around here. Like do, do cows stampede? Is that a thing anymore? If you open the gate. I... I, uh, I, I read a couple of westerns this year, and like this is an image that happens in westerns a lot. That like sort of generic thing where like the cows are the, you know, I guess you're more likely to be killed in a Walmart stampede on Black Friday now, you know. Like, but this image is like, God, if I am actually guilty of this, if I have actually done these things, if I am not innocent, let my enemy crush me under his feet, let him run me over. Um, that's quite a statement, isn't it? I mean, especially for an all-knowing God, like, that is a big thing to say. Um, it is a thing that only Jesus ultimately could say. Well, I guess David, if he hadn't, like, robbed or repaid his ally with evil um, or robbed his foe, like, if he hadn't done this because it's a specific thing he's defending himself against. But in our spot, we find ourselves in this place where we say, God, if I'm not forgiven by Christ, then let me be run over, right? Like, if Jesus is not sufficient to save me, if Jesus is not sufficient to make me clean, if Jesus is not sufficient to make me new, then go ahead and let me be run over. Um, but we can have confidence in that. Make me sleep in the dust, meaning bury me, right? Like, like let me be killed entirely, trampled to the ground. Um, this is David's defense, but it's also ours to a degree. You know, I, am, I belong to Jesus. That's a thing that is really hard to remember when you're laying in bed and that little accusing voice pops up. I don't know, is just me or a couple of us? That little accusing voice pops up. No, I belong to Jesus. No, I'm forgiven. No, I am new. I'm a new creation. You know, forgetting what is behind and pressing toward what is ahead, right? Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. All right, so um, this arise, awake, rise up, like these are phrases. God is obviously not somebody who sleeps. Right? Like, I mean, we can all sort of agree on that. God doesn't sleep. But it is like poetic language for, all right, God, come on. <laughs> Anytime now. Come on. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I think about my kids with this one, actually, how um, sometimes they want me to come running and pick them up, and I don't move quite fast enough. You know what I mean? You know, or they fall down and they get hurt, and they want me right there, right now. And I don't move fast enough. This is the idea here. God, get up and go. God, start moving. God, come and rescue me. And I, I, man, I'll tell you what, how many times I've been in spots where I've been terrified or worried or felt 
ashamed and I've thought, God, just come and save me from this. And it doesn't seem like he could get there fast enough. And oddly enough, he seems to show up at exactly the right time no matter what happens. And that's weird how that is. God is never late or early. He's always shows up right when he intends to. Um, Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Um, Again, this is David speaking. Um, For us, it is... Um, vindicate me, Lord, according to Christ's righteousness, according to his integrity, O Most High. Um, whereas Christ was, was judged, whereas God poured his wrath out on Jesus on the cross for our sin, like he was judged for our stuff. Um, when God looks at us, as propitiation is a theological word. God looks on us, and, and according to Christ's righteousness, he judges us. Um, that is awesome. Um, the word, uh, I just went by it, um, justice appears in here at least twice. Um, what that word is in Hebrew, this is mispot, mispot, my Hebrew is terrible. Um, and what this is, is in a court case, and this is the procedural part, right? Everybody with me? So this is the part where, like, Jerry Orbach and the other guy have arrested the bad guy, and they brought him to court, and the district attorneys, everybody's gathered around, and they're doing their their law and order thing. And what would happen in an ancient court is the judge would hear both sides, all of the circumstances, and then they would step forward, and they would declare justice. This is not declaring what their judgment is. It is declaring what the most righteous course of action would have been for everyone involved. Right. And so it isn't saying, oh, well, like my kids, you know, dad, he hit me. Well, she bit me first. Well, he was singing and I didn't like it. And so now I have to say, all right, well, you get punished this way and you get punished this way. This mispot, this declaring justice is. All right, guys, here's what we should have done. Right. You should have been singing to annoy your sister. You shouldn't have bit him in response to the singing. You shouldn't have hit her in response to the biting. You should both have, like, cooled it and stopped being nasty to each other. Um, This is the right course of action. You should have loved each other instead of being horrible. Um, That was entirely hypothetical. That's never happened. This declare your justice. And when you hear the scriptures, like when it talks about justice, this ideal, the ideal version of the world that should have operated. This is God declaring. And then from that point forward, you would declare justice. And so God would look at the situation, whatever it is, and say, David, this is what you should have done. This is the ideal. Um, And now I'm going to judge you based on that. And the word righteousness is your closeness to that mispot. So like how, you know, hey, I managed to fall right underneath the ideal. Awesome. That's what the righteousness thing is. So like, like this is this great court thing. And in the end, like, how does this apply to us? Well, God already declared like this misspot in Christ, right? He shows us this ideal version and he lives out through like, like his son shows up and lives out this ideal version of life. And again, our righteousness is not our closeness to that. It is that put over us because we can never really achieve it on our own. Like on our own, what is it Paul says? Like when I try to do good, I end up doing the things I hate. (laughs) 
And, and the things I do is always the stuff I hate. The stuff I love is the stuff that falls to the side. Like, like what a wretched man that I am. Like, on our own, we will never manage this, like, mispot, this, you know, this justice. We, we can't do it. According to Christ, righteousness, we're brought in harmony with that. But we're brought in harmony with it, like, because God sees Jesus when he sees us. Um, and we say, vindicate me. We're vindicated not because we're awesome, but because Jesus is awesome. And he claims us as his own. We belong to him. According to his integrity, O Most High. To kind of turn that verse 8 a little bit. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. Um, And so he says, listen... I know these accusations. I know these attackers, these evil people around me. Bring it to an end, Lord. Stop it. And actually, this is maybe a prayer that a few of us could probably jump back to. We can go back and say, God, I'm forgiven. I'm pursuing Jesus. My past is behind me. I'm washed new. As far as the east is the west, so far has God removed my sin from me. Like, Bring these accusations, bring this garbage to an end, Lord, and make me, like, secure. Bring me to a place of safety, to a place of peace. Um, 10 to 13, my shield is God most high. So, like, having declared God is my refuge, these people are attacking me. God, I am innocent. God, judge these people, judge this situation, declare righteousness, um, my shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, meaning like he is right in line with Mizpah. A God, and I'm totally butchering the Hebrew there, I'm sorry. A God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend the string of his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready the flaming arrows. And so what this is referring to, now watch this. He says, God, protect me. And, like, it's a turn and warn people who are, are, are threatening him. Hey, 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 you back off because God, he's got his short, sword sharpened, right? He's got his, his, I don't hunt with a bow. I've never hunted with a bow. But I assume at this point is not something you stand and do for hours on end. This is right before you pull the trigger. There's no trigger on a bow. Um, to, to put it into Eric understanding, this is the spot where you are looking in the crosshairs and they're lined up on whatever it is you're about to shoot and like you are, the safety's off and you're just about to pull the trigger. It's that moment right there. Like this is where God is at over these people who are accusing me saying, hey, back off because God is going to protect me. And he's going to protect me not just a little bit. He's going to protect me with flaming arrows. In, in modern terms, this would be Tannerite, Right. Um, he's going to protect me in a big and bad and serious way. Take God seriously. Back off. There's an interesting word in there. Um, if he does not relent, this is usually interpreted, like translated. This is the NIV, and I picked the NIV on purpose. Um, in the NIV, it's relent because it means turn around and go the other way. If he doesn't back off of it. And we see where God does back off sometimes over things that he's pronounced in prophecy, like Nineveh was supposed to be destroyed, but people listened to Jonah and they didn't, then they repented and God relented and didn't destroy, right? Um, this would be if you guys don't repent and to get God to turn away, you're in trouble. You know, he's, he's got his finger on the trigger. He's got the safety off. It is about time. Repent. 
stop, back off. Um, By the way, that's a powerful image to imagine when you're being attacked and accused, isn't it? That is a powerful image to imagine when, like, your past is being dredged up, stuff you did, you know, that you've long repented of, but it just keeps coming back and you continue to feel ashamed and, and you continue to feel like, like awful about it. This is a powerful thing to come back to. God is preparing wrath for the accuser and we are protected and we are in his hand. Like God will go to no end to protect us and he will visit his protection on us over the accuser with like great fury. Um, part of the, the gist of the first line there is, or the second line, who displays his wrath every day is, that this isn't a court case that goes to the side. This is something that's on the forefront and is going to be like dealt with immediately. Um, it's a little like, a, you know, God isn't going to put it off. He's going to do it now. Um, it's sort of the legalese in the, in the phrasing there. Um, whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment or lies would be another way to read that. Um, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. So he says, listen, all these people who are out there lying about me, all these people who are pregnant with evil and about to give birth to it, that is a really gross image. Um, it's a powerful image. Like These people are like brewing it up inside and growing it out into something big, and they're going to let this evil loose in the world. Um, like whoever these people are, whoever digs this hole, they're going to fall into it. Whoever's out there preparing chaos, God will protect me, and they'll fall into their own pit. They'll be destroyed by their own thing. Um, actually, this makes me think of the cross, where like Satan meant it for evil. He brings Jesus to death and you know nails him to the cross, and through this awful like attack on him, God brings about the best good that he possibly could. Um, David is saying, God protects me because the evil men do. Like the pit they dig, they'll fall into themselves. Um, The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own head. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing praises of the name of the Lord Most High. And that's where the psalm ends. Um, It ends with, thank you, God, that I can feel secure. Thank you, God, that over and over and over again when I'm accused and when I feel unsafe and when I feel ashamed and when i got people attacking me and when Satan calls up my past and when people remember my rottenness and all this other stuff, thank you, God, that this righteousness is on me. Thank you that you've made me right and that you are the kind of God that I can trust to save me. Um, I... Titus has hit this strange point in life where he has shifted from mom to dad. And it is like great. I, I was sitting in my chair in, in the, the chair this morning. My wife was on the couch and he came out and he saw me and he looked at mom and he came over and he got in my lap and I got to, because he ignored me and liked me before. Um, but I'm in this spot now where he wants to cuddle up with me and he wants to, and when he's in trouble, comes running to dad, right? We watched a movie that scared the kids the other day and Abby came running over to the side of the room and curled up with me because she knew dad's going to protect me. This is the God that's being described here, right? The God that we can run back to when we're in danger, when we're accused, when we're attacked, when we're tripped up, when we're assaulted, when we're angry and frustrated and overtaken, we can run back to this God. What do we do with all this? Well, 
when you are in that spot, this is almost a roadmap of where to go, isn't it? God's righteousness is on us. If I'm a follower of Jesus, if I belong to him, if he is my Lord, my boss, my God, I can run back to that over and over again. I don't need to feel awful. I need to know that Jesus died for me. I don't feel shame. I feel like the glory of God because I can point and say, as bad as I am, my Lord is better. And I belong to him. Um, I, for a long time, I was embarrassed to talk about things I, you know, my own sin. I, it was something I never talked about in sermons. And I, I feel comfortable with it now because I can point and say, I'm, I'm not a perfect man. I'm a wicked man. I'm, I'm a man who's fallen like over and over again in my life, but I belong to Jesus. And anything good you see in me is Jesus, right? Anything good you see me do is Jesus because I know how bad I can be. Um. This is the roadmap in this psalm, right? Jesus is my righteousness. I'm accused. I run to him. I remember my past. I remember Jesus' like, like work on my behalf. My challenge to you this week is to over and over again come back to the cross. Is to ask yourself, like, when you look at the world around me, is it your own righteousness or is it Jesus' that you, that you run to? Is it I am better than that guy or Jesus died for me and he died for you too? Is it, I have this nailed, or is it Jesus died for me? Is it, I am worthless, or is it, I have worth because Christ is in me? Um, Like, at the end of the day, everything in the scriptures boil down to this. Like, we are his people. We are called to be his people. Jesus died so we can be his people, and we have this new life because of it. And it is awesome. The best news you could possibly get in life. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'll let you all go. Heavenly Father, pray that you would be with us um, this coming week, Lord, and help us to take refuge in Christ. Lord, help us to know that, that in our own righteousness we're, we're in trouble, like in danger of being trampled by our enemy, uh, by the sin in ourselves, Lord. But because of Christ, we have refuge. Um, the roaring lion can make a lot of noise, Lord, but that we are in, in refuge in you, Lord. We're safe in you. We have firm and steady ground in you. Thank you, Lord, for being the kind of God that we can trust that way. Like a child runs to their father, we can run back to you over and over again and know that in Christ we're saved. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.